Luke 9, 46 through 56. And this passage is so relevant for us today, not a hundred years ago, but Jesus speaks to us today through this passage. An argument rose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, aware of their inner thoughts, took a little child and put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for the least among you all of you is the greatest. And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out devils in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. And when the days grew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. And on their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Hey, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Anyone pick up? uh, The disciples are the inner circle. They've been following Jesus for three years and soaking in all of his wisdom and his peace and his teachings. Do you pick up on what they're doing the whole time here? Just fighting. <laughs> Just fighting. So, uh, uh, but what we're going to talk about today is uh, spirituality, and we'll tie it back in with this passage. Um, uh, just take some time as we pray and reflect on, on, on these words and just our own lives. What does it mean to say you are spiritual? <clears throat> you have a, a spirituality. So what does that mean to you to say, I am a spiritual person? Let's just take a few moments to pray and to reflect on that silently. So let us pray. Amen. Well, before we get started, does anyone want to, when you you hear the word spiritual or someone says, I'm a spiritual person, what does that mean to you? Anyone with a thought on that? What does it mean to say you are spiritual? Yes? Yes? Okay, so you're, you're following actively, living the words, okay? Anyone else on that distinction, saying you're spiritual, I'm a spiritual person? Yeah. Recognizing the interconnectedness of everyone and of all beings and okay. um, taking action based on that. Okay, uh, being a spirituality is recognizing the interconnectedness of all beings and all people, as well as our connection with the, with the earth as well. Yeah. So just that interconnect connection there. <clears throat> Did you have something? Well, I was just going to say, I have a hard time in life. <laughs> and, um, and I just need something bigger than myself. And I need God to help me and to just support okay. me. Okay. So that part of me that desires, you know, something bigger and more caring and Okay. Okay. But I want to be that, you know, like Anna said, can I work with? 
Okay. Okay. Recognizing we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And this life is about more than our, ourselves. Um, uh, Roar, he has a quote that, uh, think of how, how it goes. <clears throat> he says, um, religion is lived by people who fear hell, and spirituality is lived by people who have been to hell and they come out enlightened. <laughs> I, I like that one. <laughs> and, and they're not necessarily um, opposite of one, polar opposites, religion and spirituality, but they're often presented in tension with one another for sure. Well, uh, a couple years ago, uh, Jennifer and I, we went down to uh, Ojo Caliente. We always go down there just to get a little rest and, and renewal. And I was waiting outside of the restaurant for, for Jennifer and we were going to go eat breakfast. And there was a lady sitting across from me, and she had a, a book. She was reading a book on, on karma. And so we struck up this conversation, and we're talking with one, one another. <clears throat> and as often happens, uh, we ask each other these questions. She goes, well, what do you do? What do you do for a living? <laughs> and if you're a minister, I always pause. <clears throat> okay, how do I want to answer this question? Because you always get a reaction, for sure. So she's reading this book on karma. So I said, well, I'm a United Methodist minister. And she looked at me (laughs) and stared at me. And she said these words, which I don't know how I feel about them, to tell you the truth. But she said, I am spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, but I am not religious. And I can hear that, those deeper Meanings, what's underneath those words. I actually, I hear this quite often. I'm spiritual, but not religious. And sometimes what I'm here with my spirituality, I am above and beyond the, the structures and, and the faults and the quarrels of the church. I'm not part of that. I'm spiritual, but I am not religious. Well, can we be religious and spiritual at the same time? What does it mean to be spiritual? What does spirituality look like? <clears throat> well, Michael Giaconelli, he wrote a, book, a great book, and he says, spiritual is often used to describe people who pray and meditate quite a bit throughout the day. You kind of get this image. I always get an image of a spiritual sitting on a rock, just praying and meditating. They're at one with nature, and sometimes they're sitting by a stream and have all these wonderful thoughts and ideas come into them. And it's just a beautiful place. They exude this peace and embody wisdom. Spiritual people, we often think they never get angry or rattled. They possess special powers to heal themselves and other people. They are the calm in the the storm. They kind of have the inside track to God. And quite often when I think of spiritual people, they won't even use the word God. They'll say the universe or the creator. And they are in touch. They are intuitive. Spirituality for most of us has this otherworldly ring to it. I love the image of St. Francis of Assisi with the birds resting on his shoulder, these wild birds. And I have to admit for the past two or three years, I've been trying to do that. <laughs> Every time I walk by a bird and the bird is sitting on a branch, I try to get as close as possible. And in my mind, I say, come land on my shoulder. (laughs) And I've gotten close to the bird, but then they always fly off. But I thought, maybe I'll be a spiritual person 
when that bird will rest on my shoulder. We are in Yellowstone last week. I have to admit, we saw a couple of grizzlies right outside of our car window there. I was tempted to go out, but I said, no, let's not push this. Let's stick with the birds. Stick with the birds. <clears throat> but spiritual people, they just have this serene peace, this tranquility about them. Uh, monks and nuns and, and spiritual gurus, they, they seem to forsake the world or in the world, but not of the world. Quite often they live in the monasteries or in these secluded cabins in the desert or in the high mountains. And people just come to hear them and get a little word of wisdom from them. Over the past couple years, I've been becoming friends with Father Tom. He's He's a Benedictine monk that lives in Schuyler, Nebraska. And whenever I go there, I always stop and, and, and talk to Father Tom just to hear what he has to say. And he's a spiritual person and a religious person as well. And he, he prays five or six times a day. He celebrates the Eucharist daily with the other nuns. He visits the prisoners every Tuesday and speaks to them and listens to them as well. He cares for the poor. He smiles very easily and he laughs easily as well. And I just love being in his presence. Father Tom and the monks there at the monastery, they're very spiritual people. And they're very religious as well. And I admire him and his life. But I always ask the question, is there spirituality for the rest of us? (laughs) Who don't pray five or six times a day and we don't live in this secluded cabin in the mountains or, you know in the desert there? Is there spirituality for the rest of us? Can we be spiritual? And I I say this sincerely. Can we be spiritual if we have a spouse? (laughs) And all the... (laughs) She's nodding her head yes as well. Because relationships are very, very difficult. Can we be spiritual if we have teenagers and and young kids? (laughs) Can we be spiritual if we have aging parents and they need our care? Can we be spiritual if we have too many bills? And if we have a dog that barks every night? Can we be spiritual? Dr. Nelly says what landed Jesus on the cross was the preposterous idea that common, ordinary, broken, and screwed up people could be godly and spiritual just as much as those monks and those nuns. And what drove Jesus' enemies crazy were his criticisms of perfect religious people. The spiritual but not religious people, both of whom acted as if they had everything all together. They had their act together, and they either denied or ignored their flaws. Jesus' message was anyone can be spiritual. Anyone can be close to God or or the Creator. Anyone. Anyone can be intuitive because that Spirit is moving through all of us. Not only here in this building, but everyone outside this building as well. That Spirit of wisdom and truth is running through all of us, just like like a stream. All of us have the possibility of being in sync with the universe. It's always good to remember some of the characters, some of the pillars of faith, the spiritual people 
that we find in Scripture. One of my favorites is Noah, a pillar of faith. He's rock solid. He, he builds the ark and everyone thinks he's crazy, but he knows this big flood is coming. He gathers all the animals into the ark and he rides out the storm. And after this huge storm has ended and the ark is safely on land, Noah and all of his spirituality, you remember what he does? He gets drunk and he gets naked. <laughs> That's Noah. That's Noah. And he's who we look to about what it means to be faithful. Another spiritual person I, I love and admire is King David. He is described as a man after God's heart. And what does King David do? He has this scandalous affair with Bathsheba, and then he tries to cover it up. So rather than just lying about it, he has Bathsheba's husband killed in battle. He murders him. And this is a man after God's heart, a very spiritual person. And in today's reading, we find the disciples. They have been walking with Jesus for close to three years, soaking in all this wisdom, all this peace, and just being in his presence. And they must have been transformed greatly by him. And what are they doing? They're just fighting. They're, all, they're petty. They're just fighting with it. who's the best, who does Jesus like the most. They're like little kids. And I could just see him, kind of like when he's in the storm, guys. <laughs> Guys, can't you just get along? I love all of you. And they just continue to fight. And then after they get through fighting, he, he goes and, uh, and, and there's this guy who's casting out demons, but he's not doing it in Jesus' name or he's not doing it just like them. They said, we told him to stop because he's not doing it just like we do it. And he says, guys, <laughs> he's healing people. It's a good thing. Don't stop him. Let him do that. He's with us. He's, he is for us. And then the third thing, just right after this then, they go into a town, and it's a, a town uh, that they don't welcome the disciples easily. They're a little standoffish. The disciples take it personally. So they go back to Jesus. They said, they're not welcoming us. They're not happy to see us. Should we call fire down from heaven? <laughs> And just destroy them? They want to drop a bomb on this town. And Jesus says no. And he rebukes them. It's about love and compassion and forgiveness. And it just goes on and on and on. Well, I actually love these stories. Because I don't feel quite so bad if the bird's not going to land on my shoulder. (laughs) But this is our humanity. This is spirituality. Jesus, he hung out with everyone. He hung out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the adulterers. He hung out with mental cases. And his disciples were hardly models of saintliness. We might say that people of faith have a tradition of spirituality. But the spirituality, our spirituality, I believe, is messy. Spirituality is messy. Most of the New Testament is all about straightening out the messes in the early church. A good portion. It's all about Paul and Jesus straightening out all these messes in church and in communities. 
in our larger church right now, we're in a mess. We are in a huge mess. We're heading towards a split, a division over are we fully going to love everyone or are we going to exclude people? And it's a mess. And why are we surprised? (laughs) This is our, our history, our struggle to truly love and care for one another and to accept one another. And it's, it's messy. Giaconelli says, authentic, messy spirituality unveils, unveils the myth of flawlessness and calls people of the way of Christ to come out of hiding and stop pretending. Quit acting like you have it all together. We're part of something bigger and we need one another. We need that spirit of God moving through us. I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Sometimes when I hear that, and I've often said that myself as well, by the way, (laughs) I hear that I am above the messiness of life. I'm above all this infighting and squabbling. I'm above the hypocrisy of the church. And if we're honest, I think we can say, I'm part of it. But also it can be part of the solution. I can learn to love. I can learn to forgive with that spirit moving through me and through all of us. No matter how messy our lives are, grace works through us. And I even say the more messy we are, (laughs) quite often, that spirituality begins with being honest about ourselves, our pettiness, our brokenness, but also being honest about our belovedness how we are loved unconditionally and we're continually restored. And when we know we are loved, then we are able to be honest about who we are and our faults because we know God's not going to withdraw that love if we get angry, if we have a moment there, that that love is constant. On one of my visits back to the the monastery in Schuyler, Nebraska, I was talking to Father Tom, and he's wearing this robe and just smiling, and, they, and these monks, they just laugh all the time. It's like being around them. I said, do you guys ever fight? There's only like seven or eight monks in this monastery. And it's a beautiful place. They have these incredible gardens. They have a full-time chef, and, you know, and they, they just pray six times a day, and they take walks through the, to the fields all day long. I said, do you guys ever fight? And he looked at me. And he smiled. And then he laughed. He laughed. He says, we fight just as much as any family. He said, don't let these appearances deceive you. (laughs) We fight as much as anybody. He goes, but we also pray daily. And when you're saying those prayers day after day about forgiveness and acceptance and love, and you're holding this grudge against the guy that lives in the room next to you, eventually it takes hold. (laughs) He goes, sometimes we'll be mad at each other for a day. I've seen, I've lived with guys in this monastery for 30 years. Sometimes we have held grudges for a year. He goes, yes, we fight. But we always forgive. And we're always counting on that spirit to move us to a bigger place, a more loving place.
A messy life does not disqualify us from being spiritual. I actually think it's the opposite. (laughs) It leads us to a more authentic faith. It leads us to a deeper, more mature spirituality as we learn to forgive and we learn to listen, to let go. We learn to love and not to judge. We learn to step off our high horse. When we're truly spiritual or we're just growing in that spirituality, instead of thinking we're above everybody, we're always constantly looking down upon someone, we step off our high horse and we join the wonderful mess that we call life, trusting that God is moving through us and that we can love and we can forgive. I had a book in my office. I haven't read it there. How do you say your last name? Does anyone know? Lamott? Lamont. Yeah, she's a wonderful, she is a, a, a spiritual writer, a Christian writer, has tremendous faith. She's a, on the New York Times bestseller list for many of her books. And she'd be the first to tell you, she writes things like, love has bridged the high rises of despair that we were about to fall between. Love has been a pin light in the blackest, bleakest nights. But love is why we have hope. And she has a very interesting life. And she wrote a book called Traveling Mercies. And in this book, she was talking about how she was uh, addicted to cocaine and alcohol. And she had an affair that led to a child whom she aborted. And she helplessly watched as her best friend died of cancer. And her life was an absolute mess. And on one occasion, she went, she went to go visit this small Presbyterian church that's off the coast of California there. And she was just drawn to the music. And every time when the sermon would begin, she would leave. And that's all that she could handle. And she said during the week of her abortion, she was drowned in her sorrows. And she drowned those sorrows in alcohol and drugs. And she just fell into her bed and just passed out. And she said she was laying in that bed, semi-unconscious, and then she became aware that somebody was in the room with her. And she got scared. She thought it might be her father because he would often come by and check on her. And so she turned on the light and nobody was there. And she went back to sleep. And she could still feel someone present in that room. And she knew it was Christ. And he was just sitting in the corner on his haunches, just waiting patiently and loving her and not judging her. And in her mind, she said, this is ridiculous. If I followed Jesus, if I went to church, what would people say? Because everybody knows who I am and they know my habits. She goes, I'm not going to do that. And she woke up in the morning. She thought, I think it was just a dream. But then she said, as she started walking around day by day, she always, she started feeling this presence following her around. And she described it, she said it was like a little cat. Everywhere I went, this little cat would just fall around and go around my legs and brush against my, my legs and, and just kind of was bugging me over and over and over again. It would never go away. And she goes, but, and she said, and then one time she said she got really drunk and she was stumbling home. And here was this cat again following her. And she says, you know what happens? She goes, 
that cat wanted me to pick it up and welcome it into my home and feed it. She goes, when you feed, you only have to feed a cat one time. <laughs> and it never goes away. Because <laughs> I don't know if I want to do that. And this has been going on and on. I shared this with Rosa because she fed the black cat once. <laughs> Still here. <laughs> Kitty cat. <laughs> so she, she got home and this cat's fallen her and she's a mess. And she finally said, I quit. I can't do this anymore. And she said, I let the cat in. I let the cat in. In our spirituality, God, grace, that loving presence, it walks into our messy lives and it transforms our messy lives into messy spirituality. <laughs> if you have a messy life, welcome to the human race. <laughs> who we are but with that grace moving through us when we let that cat in good things can happen it's beautiful it's who we are it's what makes life interesting so my prayer for all of us today is that we can just be honest about who we are accept that love and let the cat in (laughs) amen